going to go back to Babel, and we've got all kinds of journeying to do in this segment. Right, and actually in the next segment, too, I'll share part of my testimony in terms of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and uh, where that all falls in. Because as you, you know, we, we get Passover or Easter, Resurrection Day, and then we get, okay, we got Pentecost, but as Christians, we, we kind of lose the whole counting of the Omer. It's one of those parts of Scripture we just, we just don't pay attention to. And so a lot of times as Christians, waiting on God is a really difficult thing. And part of that is simply because we uh, just set that, those scriptures aside because, well, that, that's, that's something that doesn't apply. But actually, God has this waiting <laughs> built in, and this is where we're at. Think about, and it's called counting the Omer. All right, these are from first fruit to first fruit. You're counting these 50 days. So I want you to think about it this way. The first 40 days of counting the Omer are the same days that Jesus walked the earth after his resurrection. Mm -hmm. Day 40 is when he ascended into heaven. On the top of Mount Olive, at the same place, he will return. And the same place, the scapegoat disappeared with the sins of the nation on the Day of Atonement. That's, again, not a lot of coincidences there. When the Jews count the Omer for day 40, nothing significant happens. There's no significant historical tie-in, which kind of begs the question, why did Jesus ascend on that day? Well, the question is kind of answered if you read the story. Jesus walks them up to the Mount of Olives and says, goodbye, it's time for me to go, almost time for you to go into all the world, and then he disappears. And they just keep standing there, and they're looking, says, looking up in the sky going, wow, that was not expected. <laughs> and Jesus has to send angels back, and I'm going to paraphrase, the movie's over, he's done here, it's you now. You're the Omer. Day 41 is you. Go and pray and get ready for day 50. You're going to do greater works because he's gone. Peter, James, John, be the Omer. Go, it's your turn. So then on f- day 50, the church is birthed. You were birthed. I was birthed. Counting the Omer was never about barley or wheat. It was always about you and me. What's the lesson we should gain from what they call counting the Omer to Pentecost? Well, the Exodus journey is the very roadmap we need for a life of faith. Nearly every lesson we need is part of their journey. I think the ultimate lesson is waiting in faith. And waiting isn't wasting time. We have a very important relationship to time. Ephesians 5 tells us, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Habakkuk 2. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. It would linger, wait for it, and will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So, wait for it, though it linger, is being full of faith while you wait is part of being upright. So that's what those 50 days have to do with. Now, there's a one aspect in this waiting is, of course, when you're waiting for something, you know when it's going to happen, but... Uh, You really don't know much else about it. And that's kind of what happened for the disciples. Where Pentecost happened 2,000 years ago is an interesting and very significant aspect because this Pentecost is that tower 
staircase mountain, which has been casting a shadow all the way from Babel to Bethel to Sinai. The shadows and types are called that because they have a source, right? You, if you have a shadow, you can guarantee there's a light source and something, you know, in the way of that light source, and that's the shadow, right? So what's casting the shadow? And in this case, Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place or one mind. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now the word they translate as house there is oikos. It is a house, a building, or temple. In this case, it was the house of God, specifically the temple courtyard, which is more than enough room for thousands to gather and everyone to react to what happens. Would not happen in a house or a small building. The day of Pentecost arrived, and these men are sitting together somewhere in the courtyard of the Israelites. There are several courtyards as part of the temple. When this roaring, rushing, violent wind, like the sound of a tornado. If you ever heard of the sound of a tornado, you don't forget that. And so they're all going, what? what, what? Yeah, there's a roar to that. Yeah. yeah, it blasts onto the temple mountain, onto the temple courtyard of the Israelites, which is overflowing for the temple services of Shavuot for Pentecost. And, of course, they've all been up all night. They've been That's the tradition. They're studying, they're reading the word, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a tornado hitting. The Holy Spirit in voice and fire falls on this group of men sitting on the temple mount. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind filled the whole house, again, the courtyard where they were sitting. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, that is, devout men from every nation under heaven. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So the crowd all spoke the countless confused tongues that came from Babel. So you have one original language and then you have all the others. So everybody who's here now, they all speaking all of those languages that flowed out from Babel. But suddenly they could all hear the God of Hebrew being worshipped even in their languages of confusion. Well, that's different. For the first time since Babel, unity of some sort is restored. It was Jacob's ladder or better staircase and tower, temple mount, and God was atop it. They're able to shema, to hear and obey again. They're able to follow God again. Something big is happening here. Peter preaches, and his words are really important. God has raised this Jesus to life. We're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see now and here. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, Jehovah said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom he crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now remember the words from Babel. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make, for, make a name for ourselves. Well, now they can hear Shema instead of their name. It's the name, the shame, the name of Jesus, which they will come to Shema, hear and obey. Name also means honor and renown. So instead of a tower back in Babel, 
they're going to become the church. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Again, you get that unity. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And eventually there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the results of the scattering, though, was the gospel was spread across the earth to all nations. So beginning in Babel, you're going, what was God doing? And here, you know, 4,000 years later, you're going, oh, mm-hmm. there's this theme starts to make sense of something else that was happening in Pentecost. And so uh, there's a lot of themes, obviously, but uh, coming up, we're going to look about um, what happened on that day, you know, tongues, but there's some other words that Peter uses in there, like prophecy and, and others. So I'm going to tear those apart real quick. 